Hello and welcome to the Performance Through Health podcast. We aim to inspire and educate our listeners through engaging conversations on all things health and fitness, mindset, business and philosophy. My name is Martin McPhillamy and I'm your host and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today we have Ben Jewett, strength coach and owner of the West Coast Barbell Club. I'm pretty excited about getting to know you, Ben, and uh, getting to know your ethos around uh, around your gym. Yeah. Is, it, is it powerlifting gym? Uh, I'd say we're here for strength coaching okay. um, as much as anything. Um, I do have competitive powerlifters that I coach, um, but I, I wouldn't say we're a powerlifting gym. I'd, I'd say that we're a gym that provides strength coaching. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah nice. So just take us through a bit about you know, who, who Ben Metcalf is, yeah, where, sure. where he's from, because I know just before we were about to wrap on yeah, about yeah, where yeah. you're from in the UK yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. Yeah, obviously both being in the UK, obviously. Um, uh, I've been out here a similar amount of time to you by the sounds of it. So I moved here Christmas 2016, um, originally from London, around Wimbledon area. Um, then my family moved out to Bath, sat in the West Country, so I grew up playing rugby. Um, ah, beautiful spot. Yeah. What age What age are you? Uh, I'm about to turn 30. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, 31, so, so a couple no, of years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and um, yeah, my partner I met in London um, five or six years ago now. Um, we She's from Perth and we moved out here um, about four years ago now. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah. Started out by um, coaching out of a CrossFit gym up in um, Joondalup. Uh, then also alongside that was PTing out of a gym in Osborne Park. And then coming up about two and a half years ago, we opened West Coast Barbell Club closer yeah. to the city. Nice. So, yeah. where, so where did you, did you do all your like personal training and strength coaching? Was that all back at UK or was it over here? So I did my qualification in the UK and then moved out here shortly afterwards. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. How does that, how does that, how does that cross? Is it a similar sort of thing? It's, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like I was lucky through Georgia, my partner who's a physio, she knew a fair few PCs and strength and conditioning coaches out here. And the advice I was given was to do my qualification in the UK before moving because the quality of the qualification here is pretty poor. I'd say the quality of the qualification in the UK is pretty poor. So okay. if it's any worse out here, then that's that's fine. <laughs> um, so um, did the qualification in the UK um, and then, um, yeah, pretty much just hit the ground running um, after doing a little bit of traveling to begin with. Straight out of so, here. Yeah. yeah. Did you manage to get quite a few clients when you when you first got out here? You work, so you're working at a, a local gym? Yeah, yeah. Lup? So I was, I was really lucky that when I started up in June Lup, um, I... The, the gym owner up there, Jace, who's an awesome bloke, he's a former, well, if he ever listens to this, I hope I'm not wrong, but he's a, a former military operations uh, dude who's in special operations for the SAS. Yeah, okay. Um, so no messing around with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he really kind of ingrained like what working hard is yeah. like. Um, so I'm really grateful to him for that. Um, at the same time, um, another, um, well, she was a PT, but was training there she was looking to go traveling um and worked out of this gym in osborne park had built up a client base there for four or five years and wanted them to be looked after after she went away um so i ended up taking on her contract there and then they kind of dispersed out her client base so at least i got kind of in the door with seven or eight clients who all obviously enjoyed working with me and stayed on and then um built up to maybe 25 clients by the time i felt it was ready to take on my own place and just the limitations of working out of someone else's gym are mm. yeah, pretty considerable, um, as well as I got on with the owners. So I opened up my own place and now we're coming up to about 60. 
yeah okay. um, oh, which nice. is great and I'm, yeah. yeah it's all all me right it's yeah, all my yeah. personal relationship with all of them so yeah um so 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 the so what was the um obviously you've mentioned a little bit about there about it work there's limitations to being in someone else's yeah. gym was, is what was that where the idea for west coast barbell club came from yeah for sure like um like, yeah any, anyone who's, who does a bit of peating for a while certainly the way it works in perth is you sign a contract and effectively pay just like a member to operate out of the space so uh, obviously you pay considerably more than what a member pays um and with that um often comes things like door fees for example so this was something that um something that i want to do long term and potentially will have the opportunity to do is coach um wa's special olympics and paralympics yeah, um wow. lifters um there's a guy whose uh, instagram handles the uh, flying kiwi who does it over east and he does an awesome job he's such a cool guy and i got to meet him um last year yeah, and he was good. like yeah go for it if you get the opportunity so uh, unfortunately working out of another gym if you're paying a door fee of, say ten dollars a head and you want to help 10 you know, young disabled guys or girls coach like and you're, you're obviously largely doing it for free and then you're paying an extra you know, hundred dollars on top every time they come through the door it's just just not feasible so um that in addition to the culture of the place like i said i'd never say a bad word about the place but when there's an established culture that's quite hard to change yeah and if you're trying to you know create an environment that's conducive to people getting results it's kind of hard if that existing environment's not set up that yeah. way so i really felt the need that i wanted my own space could develop my own culture and community and things would go from there and fortunately it has yeah that's great so, yeah. that's great that's that's a, a great lead on to 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 the ethos and 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 the culture so what was the, what was the aims with with west west coast Bible club really simple from day one it's to improve people's strength and health like yeah. that's that's our kind of tagline if you yeah if you will so i'm fortunate i come from a background where pretty much all my family are medical practitioners in different forms um so it kind of amused them that I choose to go down this road. So, you know, I've been very lucky to have a good education. Um, but, you know, I've seen, you know, the value of strength training in my own health. Um, you know, I had quite a nasty back injury playing rugby um, maybe two years before I moved down here. Going through the rehab process, what really taught me the value of strength and conditioning and what's maybe of less value in the rehab mm -hmm. process. Um, and, yeah, I guess wanted to bring that to others yeah um and uh obviously yeah setting up a facility that was you know targeting that niche yeah i guess yeah um that's, was it's always the aim that's, yeah. that's, that's great i mean if you, you know, when you're looking at the scientific literature we know that str being strong or having yeah. strong strong muscles is is one of the biggest predictors of longevity and long-term exactly. long-term yeah. life so yeah. Yeah. And a part of my uh, my whole process of performance through health which is which is mm -hmm. my business it's like the first bit is physical health the first yeah. part of the framework is that mm -hmm. and i think everyone should be able to you know number one have strong muscles number two yeah. be able to move properly and number three yeah. it's just kind of like you know, having the mindset and sort of stuff like that for sure so, yeah, exactly. um so you're a rugby player yeah yeah, yeah where, where did you where did you play uh at bath so never yeah, made it okay. into the academy or anything yeah. like that although i've got a couple of mates that now play professionally there yeah um yeah it's uh <laughs> it's it's a rugby town i think bath's the biggest city in the uk to not have a league football club <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah true uh, soccer yeah so, yeah um so yeah, everyone's just interested in rugby, and that's about it. Yeah, so. now I've played. Uh, I'm pretty sure I played against Bath Uni. Cook. So yeah, yeah. What yeah, university okay. did you go to? Uh, I went to Exeter. So we went to Exeter. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't play Exeter, but I played against Bath because uh, I was at Nottingham Trent. Yeah, okay. So I yeah. think we were. 
um, the Premier B, mm-hmm. and I think Bath come down from Premier A for yeah, one yeah. one time. They went straight yeah. back up again. Yeah, yeah, and I think we yeah we went down to Bath and played against them. I think we got pumped. But, oh, okay, because <laughs> they were a solid yeah. team. Man. Yeah, and uh, the facility there's amazing. Yeah, Bath University. I mean, we used to do all of our training through my school sport um, at Bath University's or like Team Bath's facilities. It was kind of like brand at the time. It's an amazing facility to have in such a small. Well, mm-hmm. Bath's not a super small place, but it's a relatively mm-hmm. small place. Um, so yeah, they're certainly set up to to do pretty well. Yeah. So so you shared a you know a reasonably pretty good standard of rugby. Fair few. Fair yeah, few I years. wouldn't claim to be that. Big, but yeah. I wasn't like wasn't anywhere near like my mates. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah, yeah. 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 I look, look at guys who are like playing now and think, uh, yeah, like twenty and I'm thirty in there. Man, <laughs> like, I'm exactly the same. So I'm like, oh, like I, I don't want to feel like I'm yeah, peaked yeah, already. Exactly, I'm yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. I've not I've not peaked yet. But yeah, I watch exactly. these rugby players yeah, like twenty two at the World Cup anyway. Like how oh, young sure. was the England World, yeah. the rugby World Cup? I was yeah. like, oh my god, yeah, this guy's nearly ten years younger than me, exactly. and they're playing at the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, elite athletes. Yeah, so <laughs> I didn't make it anywhere. Yeah. That's why I've chosen powerlifting because I can peak when I'm fifty. It's fine. That's great. So, so what age did you um your I'm guessing the injury took your career to rent yes yes and no I still played on uh, afterwards once I'd rehabbed but it got to the point and I've heard a lot of guys say this where um, they start to enjoy their time in the gym more than their time on the pitch mm. um, Jace was the same um, up at Cross at Perth and June up with his sport and I think you start to enjoy the process of lifting and seeing progress there more as much as you enjoy the camaraderie of the sport I guess you know if you you know, start thinking more about your health, like the heavy drinking that comes with yeah. playing rugby at the oh, weekends man. and stuff like that. Too many. As fun as it is, <laughs> like, you know, I think everyone, maybe, well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people get to the point where it's just like, this is, I need to manage this all a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so what injury do you have? Uh, it's a low back injury. So, yeah, and this is one of those things where I, I talk about the, the diagnosis and I now view it quite differently. Yeah, okay. Uh, but it was your conventional... Um, you know, numbness in the legs after prolonged periods of sitting um, and uh, obviously low back pain. Then obviously as soon as you say any kind of numbness or anything, a general practitioner is going to be like, right, let's send you off for imaging. Yeah. So MRI was, you know, L5, S1, disc bulges, pressure on nerve roots and yeah, 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 yeah. Um, knowing what I know now about the value of MRI imaging um, and the issues with a very structuralist approach to viewing injury yeah um i now worry considerably less about <laughs> yeah okay any of that whereas yeah, at the yeah. time i didn't know any better so it's just like oh that sounds scary yeah yeah and you listen to the doctors right yeah exactly for sure they're in a position of authority so you can trust them um thankfully knowing what i know now i'm far more confident in my <laughs> resilience yeah good man <laughs> so, uh, it's yeah. that, it takes a lot to kind of um to come back so i uh, I had to quit when I was 21, 22 because I showed surgery on my shoulder. Yeah. And uh, kept, kept dislocating it. And when I uh, kind of got that surgery, I uh, the doctor said to me, just stop playing. Mm. I was like, that's not going to happen. That's not great advice. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, 20, yeah. 21 yeah. years old. Like, mm. uh, rugby was my life at this period. Yeah, yeah. I was at Nottingham Trent. Now I'd be, I was on my way to become, I became the president of the rugby club because I was so involved yeah, yeah, and so yeah, active yeah. And, in the first team and stuff like that. But uh, I started to try to start paying again. It just went again. So I was yeah, like, yeah. exactly the same thing. Got more obsessed with the gym. Yeah. Uh, I was like, well, my dad was a bodybuilder and powerlifter. So yeah, I was cool. like, right, I'm just going to focus on the gym. Started putting weight on. Started mm-hmm. to kind of feel good about myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At that age, you kind of like, yeah, I want to get 
big and big strong, strong obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. but terrible form. So I was squatting <laughs> three times a week and uh, uh, like trying to go as heavy as possible as you do. Your ego goes, yeah, goes, yeah. goes ahead. Yeah. And I got femoral acetabular impingement yeah, yeah. in my hip. And around about the age of 24, I was like, I was struggling to walk to work. So yeah, I used to walk yeah, to yeah. work 30 minutes a day every day. Hmm. I was like, what's this? When I got an MRI and they basically said to me, look, you have to stop squatting. I was like, yeah. I can't play rugby <laughs> yeah. and I can know yeah. I'm going to squat. It's not like, great advice either. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, great. It's like, yeah. it's over that or you have surgery. And the surgery is you've got to take the bone out, shave the ends off, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no way yeah, I'm not doing yeah, that. Yeah. It's like, I'll just tone, tone the training down a little mm. bit. I won't train my legs so so hard. But then when I got to Australia, I met a guy, uh, Matt Davy at Cross, CrossFit Euphonic, mm-hmm. and he had the exact same thing. And he goes, look, he goes, let's just try and rehab you yeah. and take you through mobility. We'll break down the tissue in, in, you know, in your glutes and stuff like that. And we'll strengthen your glutes. We'll make sure your angles come out right, squat right. And now I can squat without pain at all. Mm-hmm. And now I'm massively grateful for him for it. But yeah. the doctor told me, to never squat again yeah yeah. And at that point i was like that's it that's the end of my weightlifting career yeah yeah yeah, yeah so there's sure. a problem with listening listen to doctors versus people who actually know about yeah and there's a difference between you know, 10 years to now in terms of what yeah. they know about the body oh, for sure absolutely i think um you know unfortunately as, as great as a med- medical education is you know i think many doctors would acknowledge that it's severely lacking in you know nutrition physical activity and then counseling people on behavior change <laughs> the fundamentals so, are yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. so it's one of those things like you know unfortunately you know like a general practitioner is a gatekeeper to many other specialists and in their position they're largely dealing with people who have an issue coming to them not people who want to prevent an issue further yeah. down the line so in their role it's kind of curative rather than preventative yeah. so i was actually talking to a client about this yesterday right you know far be it from me to tell doctors what to do but you know i i would be much happier to see every general practitioner that sees someone obese walk through their door have the conversation about better managing their nutrition physical activity and the things that are potentially going to get them there um and just reducing barriers as best as possible but unfortunately like you know someone comes in with neck pain or back pain or shoulder pain despite the fact that they might not be physically active at all um, and maybe very overweight, they're probably not getting counseled on managing that better. They might be given some medication to manage their pain or yeah. given some general advice about becoming more physically active. But in my experience, that seemed to be about as far as it goes, which is a shame because we could collectively be doing a ton more to help people um, if we were willing to have those tough conversations. And it's the thing I often say to people as a coach, like, as much as I have a great personal relationship with all my clients, I'm not there to be their friend. No. Like I'm there to have tough conversations with them every so often. Yeah. Um, and it's not my job to tell them what they want to hear. It's to tell them what they probably need to hear. So I, I absolutely love coaching. I love my job. I can understand why other clinicians maybe get a bit like, jaded, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but I do wish we all did a bit of a better job of like, addressing these it's, things it's the same thing in this in the sleep industry like in the sleep industry obviously you've got people who are massively obese coming in with obstructive sleep apnea uh, snoring it's massively underdiagnosed yeah. yeah yeah hugely underdiagnosed especially in the you know, the fitness and the coaching coaching area because you'll get people who are huge come in and not it sleep sleep's not always the front of focus yeah and number two you know making a clinical decision on how well someone's sleeping is not taught so it's actually mm. something that i want to do educate the fitness community on and how to do that and how to re- make referrals to people. Yeah. But um, the, f- the first 
recommendation from the doctor is always you know, weight loss. Yeah. But that can't, that, that kind of just gets missed and it's like, okay, well, we're, yeah. n- we're not really going to have that conversation because yeah. we don't know how to. Yeah. And I mean, it's a bit awkward. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, awkward. And yeah. it's like you know, telling someone that they're overweight, they, mm. sometimes they don't want to hear it. No, of course not. I don't think a lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of time they don't want to <laughs> yeah. hear it. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I know you've made a fence to someone yeah. and now they're not going to listen at all. They're just going to switch off completely. Exactly. Exactly. And so it, it's, it's a difficult area it to be in. So yeah, I've got yeah. respect for you to be being a coach taking mm. out some sport because you know, yeah. there's so many people out there need it yeah so sure. i'd love to go through uh, and and this, if this is a process that you've gone through in mm-hmm. terms of your rehab for your back yeah yeah. so uh, you know what, what kind of things do you have to do in terms of did you have to do rehab and then what sort of stuff do you do for prehab now to uh, make sure that you can lift beforehand yeah. uh, nothing okay <laughs> no. um I, I think unfortunately the whole mobility rehab space and stuff has been massively conflated um I, there is no necessity to do prehab per se i think the, the, the unfortunate thing is that that industry has grown a lot yeah um, it provides like short-term relief from symptoms but doesn't necessarily address the underlying issue which in most people's cases is either being not active enough mm-hmm. or having poorly designed programming yeah, so their okay. intensity and overall load isn't managed well yeah so this is outside of uh, unique circumstances um, with other contraindications. Like I'm just talking about like the average person who's experiencing pain in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a very complex thing that has biological factors, social factors, psychological factors, um, but often trying to reduce it down to um, not doing enough stretching or something like that is a massive oversimplification. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't do any pre-workout stretching or anything like that. Um, you know, no. So excuse there's no necessity to you exactly. you, you yeah. move pretty well it, yeah and that's and this is where i say there's no contraindications like yeah. for me i can move through all the ranges of motion that i need to yeah. to perform the exercises that i want to yeah. so i've got adequate flexibility yeah, yeah, yeah. so um unfortunately i'll see a lot of people that will come in that were like oh, i can't get into this position because i've got bad ankle mobility and so well it looks fine to me like, yeah. what makes you think you've got bad ankle mobility and they'll be like oh well the physio told me once and i'm like <laughs> so um because you know again these people are in positions of authority and you know it gets clung on to by these individuals mm. similarly to someone you know in maybe a different position to yourself who've been told you should never play rugby again or you should never yeah. squat again yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know someone else might have taken that on board and then it stays with them for the rest of their life so yeah i like to try and get people to understand that they're resilient humans and that if we manage their loading appropriately and a patient work hard and be consistent over time they'll make a ton of progress it's it's boring stuff yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. common sense well so. it, it is at the, so, end of, at the end of the day you know, progressive overload and having to do the same exercises yeah. week in week out for a period is is is, is not you know it's, i personally don't really like to program my own training yeah, because yeah. i'm the sort of guy who just likes to go in there get the dopamine hit, yeah, just do yeah. a big circuit of like different weights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my first two exercises might be, you know, squats, deadlifts or bench press. And I'll yeah. be kind of monitoring how much I was doing last week yeah, when, yeah. in terms of load. Mm-hmm. But then I'll just kind of keep the, the volume the same in terms of the amount of days that I do. Yeah. yeah. And then I, if I am feeling, if I'm feeling a bit rough, I'll take an extra day off or yeah, if yeah. You know, if I've got a bit of time, I'll just take an extra day forward. Sure. But yeah. I know that you, know, you need programming to, yeah. to, if you're a personal trainer or you're a strength coach yeah, or you're sure. trying to get progress. Yeah, yeah. But the programming is often very, very boring. And that's yeah, why I don't exactly. like to do it for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can empathize with that. I mean, and I say this to, to clients all the time, like, you know, what what we do at West Coast Barbell Club is quite different from a lot of other gyms where, you know, doing an exercise class that has greater variety um, 
and less structure to it generally appeals to people more certainly those that are a bit less experienced when it comes to their training because at the end of the day it keeps it new and interesting and, and fun so um you know much like you say people kind of want the dopamine hit they feel like they've exercised got sweaty and feel great in the moment but it doesn't necessarily lead to any directed adaptations towards any specific results which is just fine like if people are meeting physiotherapy guidelines like i'm not like you know if you want to do f45 you know, yeah yeah it's yeah. up to you yeah but like the point I like to make to people is if you really want to get somewhere and you look at the people who have got somewhere, elite athletes, they do a lot of the same stuff yeah. over and over and over again to get there. So, you know, to the limited extent that I can, I try to encourage people to understand that we need to do a lot of the same stuff repeatedly in a well-managed way to get a desired outcome. Mm. Um, so for me, it's this constant balance between not having really boring training um, but having training that works. Yeah. So, um, and it's, you know, you'll get different people that are more like me and the progress and the results is the thing that brings satisfaction. And then for others, it's that like immediate sense of like, oh, I just really enjoyed that workout. Yeah. Um, and it's about kind of striking a balance um, as much as anything. So it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with, um, you know, kind of making it up as you go along. But, yeah. you know, I'll often say to people, it's like, you know, someone like yourself, you played rugby when you were younger, you lift in the gym regularly and have done for several years. It's this cliche thing you'll see a lot of old lifters say is like knowing your body. Yeah. Like you've got to that point where you can come in, design a reasonably, you know, well-structured workout, you know, and achieve results through feel. Yeah. Most people I work with coming through the door, having been sedentary for 20 years, they're not there yet. Nah. So nah. they need that structure. Yeah. Um, there, so there, definitely is, there definitely is no, with training age there's definitely a, a no intuitive side of, of training yeah. uh, that's something that I know myself and that's what I do, I do base, base mm. off and I'm like I've got 15 16 years of training training age now yeah, exactly. yeah, I started probably lifting weights when I got a strength conditioning coach when I was like 14 15 yeah, yeah, for exactly. rugby yeah. it's like right let's chuck some weights around at the time yeah didn't have a clue what I'm doing yeah. and then my dad my dad being a bodybuilder and powerlifter yeah, so that's pretty he's, cool. got some, he's got yeah, some yeah, kind yeah. of Training behind me, some of the yeah. uh, the guys that lived at the bottom of my road as well, they were like world champion powerlifters. And That's super used cool. to go and train with yeah, those yeah, guys. Yeah. So it's like I learned the techniques early. Yeah. Um, and then when I went to university, um, that's when I started learning a little bit of Olympic lifting, but yeah. I can't do Olympic lifting. It's hard. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and I always say to myself, yeah. like, you know, I, yeah. I can do um, uh, clean and press, but yeah, yeah. snatch, I've got no idea. No, yeah. And I would never attempt it yeah. because it's one of those movements where you've got to be fucked. It's got to be so, yeah, yeah. so, yeah. Like, so skilled. So yeah, skilled yeah, into yeah. it. Yeah. But then what, I, what I wanted to relate to with that was that I'm probably squatting the same amount as I was when I was 21, 22 mm. years old now. Yeah, yeah. And that's because I don't program. Yeah, yeah. But if I do want to hit a PB, mm -hmm. I'll do 10 weeks of programming. Yeah, I'll yeah. Hit a PB. You'll have, yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. when it's like, you know, gradually you're increasing the weight, coming back down. It's like you, you, you're tailoring. Having a plan. You, you're having, exactly. you're having a new plan. Yeah. And, it, and it does work. Yeah. But it, because I think my... my my open personality just doesn't like that kind yeah. of thing. Like, you've yeah, got to go down sure. one narrow yeah, thing. Yeah, so I'll get yeah, eight weeks yeah. of it and I'm like, right, I'm back to just my, yeah, yeah. Um, however I feel. Yeah. And I'll particularly have similar sessions, mm -hmm. but I'll do that for a few, for a little while yeah. and, I'll, and I'll switch the exercise around depending yeah, on yeah. if my shoulder starts to hurt yeah, or exactly. my hip starts to hurt. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the benefit. It's like, you know, okay, my shoulder's hurting a little bit. It's being aggravated by the volume I'm mm. doing on bench, let's say, but overhead press is more tolerable. I'm not, you know, you'll yeah, know better than me, but like, yeah. and then you'll manipulate it accordingly. Yeah. Like say, if I have someone who's like, my shoulder hurts, like they don't know how to do that yet. Yeah. Like it's not intuitive to be like, okay, well, it's responding negatively to this. I'll swap it out for this, which seems more tolerable right now. Mm -hmm. um, or, or going through a kind of rehab 
process if you know they really want to continue pushing that lift for example but we need to manage load or range of motion or um just the exercise selection yeah like you know say it's a paused bench press where the aggravation comes on that pause but if they're doing it touch and go it's you know not so painful um all these different things you know they they look to a lot of people i work with they look to me to give them that advice because they haven't got that sense yet of knowing okay well this is clearly problematic i need to you know, experiment with doing this for a little bit. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's the nice thing about having a bit more experience. I'll say to people that in part, they're paying me to not make the same mistakes I made for the first eight years in the gym. That's it. Because <laughs> coaches, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I was one of the stupid ones that went hard, got hurt, took a break for a while, went hard, got hurt, took a break for a while. <laughs> and like, I think about how much time I've wasted. <laughs> like if I'd had a good mentor when I was younger, I'd be in an infinitely different place now. I'd be squatting 300 rather than 200. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, like I say, I'll peak when I'm 50, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so where, where are you at with your training then? Did you, did um, you compete com- competitively with anything? Yeah, or? and... <laughs> Unfortunately, um, so drug tested powerlifting in Western Australia has, uh, I don't want to say overlooked, but it's like um, there wasn't a structure in place for a long time for Western like, state lifters yep. to compete at a national level. That has changed, but then since um, we had um, uh, the guys who run Rucci's gym in Malaga yep. start running APU meets and they ran nationals this year, just gone, which was an awesome event where I was spotting and loading. Um, they've since stepped away from the APU. Um, and obviously with everything that's happened in the last few months, there's no clear, clear yeah, yeah. like, yeah. Um, communication about where that's going, but hopefully that'll, that'll change. Um, my pipe dream is that, um, well, as things stand, the IWF are under warning from the IOC, um, the Olympic weightlifting with the International Olympic Committee. Yeah, okay. Um, How come, what's up? What's the reason? Retrospective drop bans. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so it's people who won't get caught and then... Yeah, like, yeah. There's been on. a massive issue with... Uh, don't quote me on this, but I think if memory serves me right, from Rio Olympics in the 96 kilo men's Olympic weightlifting class, the guy who placed seventh now has gold. The guy who placed Whoa. 10th has silver and the guy who placed 13th has bronze. Whoa. So yeah. there's yeah, literally like 12 people who exactly. in the court of it. Yeah. And, and, that's, that's, and no one knows who they are. Like they yeah. can stand on the podium with a flag around their back. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if, like I say, I think this is highly unlikely, but it's the thing that's in the back of my mind is that if they do choose to do away with Olympic weightlifting, which they're talking of doing within the next Olympic cycle or two, yeah. if they don't pick up their game, yeah. um, then the natural replacement would be powerlifting if they're going to keep a barbell sport in the okay. Olympics. Which won't be too bad. No, it'd be, I mean, don't get me wrong, powerlifting's a terrible spectator sport. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> we'll just wait yeah, yeah, exactly. forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll set up, we'll change yeah. the weights, yeah, yeah, and exactly. then we'll just wait for yeah. another five Appreciate minutes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the day as well, like someone who's not lifted sees like seven red plates on the side of a bar and it's like, I don't know, is that hard? Is that heavy? It's like, yeah, there's probably only 1% of the human population yeah. that could ever do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, one, one press, yeah. like, that's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The yeah, whole crowd's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, if it were to happen, the logical time would be LA twenty twenty eight because okay. powerlifting is um, uh, its biggest in America. So is it really? Um, yeah, yeah, it's huge in America. Certainly, drug um, drug tested powerlifting, um, and um, it would be like the logical time that that would potentially happen, um, which would be awesome. Um, so yeah, putting myself in a position to be competitive at that kind of level then would be yeah, the plan. But it's eight years away. So what what you, so what are your lifts at now then? 
Um, back in the last year, squat was around 200, deadlift around 240, bench around 130. Solid. Um, but it's 10, 15, 20 years of training before I reach my, reach my best. So, Mate, that's, uh, uh, that's a good thing yeah. about strength, right? Is um, They say people peak with their strength you know around 30 35 yeah certainly if, if they started young yeah if yeah, they started young. exactly but if yeah. they um uh, if they continue to train like mm-hmm. a man can continue to keep his strength for developing until absolutely say 40s 50s absolutely. yeah yeah, yeah. and that's that's why i love it and i try to communicate that to people because i think they're like i'm too old for lifting it's like that absolutely not like if you're, you're talking about lifting for health like you're absolutely not i mm-hmm. mean you look at the statistics around um you know giving people a a specific training dose, irrespective of their demographic, yeah. they're going to make progress, is going to improve their health. What you'll often see at younger demographics is a wider range of responses to a given training program. Yeah. Like you'll have these anomalies that are absolute genetic freaks and yeah, progress a lot on those that don't so much. As we age, it seems that that kind of spectrum narrows slightly, which is even more reassuring if you're elderly and have never lifted before, because it's not like you're going to have a super negative response versus someone else who's going to have a super positive response. You're all going to benefit. So mm. like, we should all be doing it. Um, but I mean, even if you look at it at the elite level, like you've got a, go- a dude like Sam Watt in the UK, who's added 30 kilos to his deadlift in the last two years, between mm. 48 and 50 years old. Ah, that's a big, like, yeah, exactly. Big yeah, yeah. And you know, he's, um, Do you know, I get suspicious like, with that as well though. Well, cause he's drug tested his whole life. Yeah. Okay. So like, um, yeah. you know, it, it would be, how like, often, how often like, would you think they are being tested? You know, um, if they're at his kind of level, um, Probably once every couple of months, which yeah, have which means you're not really, testing. It's you, gonna be very hard to yeah, yeah you can't exactly. do, you can't yeah. mess a system yeah. around it's, with it's, it. you get yeah. tested regularly monthly. Yeah. Like so it's um so he's uh he's awesome and worth a follow. You've got Dave Ricks, who yep. I think is I wanna say he's sixty now. And he set a world record in the squat fifty seven years old in his <laughs> weight class, like lifetime drug tested lifter. Yeah. So like it, it can be done. Like I think that the, what people misunderstand is that there's a big difference between low velocity force production and high velocity force production. You're not going to see a 50 year old Olympic weightlifter because speed is such a big component of moving the bar. Yeah. Powerlifting, it's very low velocity force production, about as low as it can get. I mean, a one rep max moves as slow as you move away. Yeah. So the speed component is nowhere near as important. So you can continue to get strong for a considerable amount of time um, and still be competitive in the sport. That's yeah. why you do see these guys like Dave Ricks and Sam Watts still being you know, at the top of the game in their 50s. And is this, is this it more due to uh, continual changes in the muscle or is it neural, neuralish things? or combination. combination? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of like people's strength development, you can make a decent case for saying that the, the neural adaptations may be slow as you age. Okay. Um, but your ability to induce hypertrophy and gain strength um, as you age obviously diminishes slightly, but it's nowhere near to the same extent that I think the general population think it is. Yeah, right. Um, so this is what I, I try to ingrain in people is it's never too late to get involved in strength training. I mean, some of the most rewarding work that I do is with elderly clients, mm. um, ones that are, you know, maybe not even capable of doing like 10 basic sit-to-stands, at which point I'd start to worry about their long-term capacity to remain independent. Yeah. So... You know, the difference between someone struggling to get up and down from a chair 10 times and being able to squat 50 or 60 kilos is immense in yeah, terms of their yeah. oh, physical function. Like, what, what it's going to be able to do for their quality of life exactly. and how they can live, like exactly. getting in and out of the shower, moving themselves, walking. Exactly, yeah. So, and, and the other thing that's really nice in working with that demographic is they, they see 
the results and appreciate them that much more, I think, because they, they see it in their day-to-day activities. Mm. It's like um, one of the ones that I had recently was a lady who was saying that she, like, it always used to like bother her that she couldn't get down on the floor, put a plug in a socket under a table and get back up without it being a complete ordeal. Uh, and she's like, I had to do it yesterday and I didn't even think about it. It's easy. Yeah. Like, it's stuff we take for granted. Yeah. But like, it's, that's huge. Yeah, right? man. So it's, 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 that's some of the most enjoyable work that I do. Oh, look, um, I, I work with, um, obviously, sleep and respiratory scientists. I work with a lot of people who have COPD. And like, some of them are just completely wasting away because they're using all of their energy to breathe, to breathe. Yeah. and they don't eat because they're depressed mm. and they just get weaker and weaker. And eventually they end up just dying because they're so weak and yeah. frail. Mm. And you know, the, the literature is clear on if, if we're to get them, patients with COPD moving and particularly doing strength training, particularly yeah. legs, yeah, quad, yeah. quad traps strength, mm-hmm. yeah. it extends the quality of, of their life and it increases their yeah. age life yeah. and you know, they can actually increase their mood. Yeah. It's one of the first things that you should get get doing is like get people Absolutely. walking, get them doing sit to stand, sit yeah. to stand, sit to stand. Yeah. So taking them from that, pro, from, from that yeah. place to them being able to either get on the floor and do something or squat with 50k yeah. on the back, I can mm-hmm. imagine that is, is so rewarding. Oh, it's great. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Right. And the thing I'll often say to them, jokingly, but I'm not really joking, is like, if I can squat and deadlift 300 kilos when I'm 70 years old, no one's putting me in old people's home. Like, like, like I'm going to be able to get up and downstairs just fine. I'm not going to lose my balance. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be at considerably less risk of sarcopenia if I'm hospitalized, osteoporosis. The training that I would have done to get to that point has mitigated my risk of hypertension, diabetes. It's just... It's it's massive kind of cascade over your health yeah. that having you know developed this strength has. Um, and... Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of people don't realise that until it's maybe a bit too late. They don't, and I guess because we everyone always thinks about the organs. Like you think about the heart, you yeah. think about the lungs, you think mm. about the liver. Like, yeah. oh, we need to be careful of these few things. Yeah. But really, the muscles are probably doing most of the work because they're actually taking on the metabolic activity. They're the ones that are actually the, the other side of it mm-hmm. that's being yeah, yeah. fed all the energy. So if yeah. you can keep them utilising the exactly. energy. You know, yeah. healthy the mitochondria healthy mm-hmm. it's gonna it makes a huge impact exactly yes and the, even beyond that i mean the evidence is growing in terms of its ability to mitigate dementia and alzheimer's risk like mm-hmm. remaining physically active particularly in the social environment as well yeah like so you know it, it's it's why i've kind of structured a lot of the coaching that i do at the gym the way i have is because you know there's good evidence to suggest that the the way we do things is going to contribute in some way to mitigating all these things we just talked about. Okay. Um, so what sort of structure so, is that then? So so, uh, so the, the core of what I do is group coaching. Yeah. Um, so we'll follow a shared program. Um, say at most there'll be 12 in a session. Generally speaking, it's eight to 10. Um, like I say, at the moment, I'm in the middle of building more equipment to you know, yep. facilitate the sessions the way I want them to be run. Um, yeah, so you have two people to a power rack tops. Yeah. Um, we'll follow a structured program together that I then individualize to the extent that I can based on someone's goals and um, arrangements so they can't make a session later in the week and I'll put some of the volume from the session they're missing into the one they're doing that day, stuff like that. Um, and it means that I get to see pretty much always every lifter lift like they're getting a one-on-one session, but yeah. at the price point of a group coaching yeah. session. Um, so, yeah, I'm very lucky throughout the whole, like, COVID pandemic, I, I didn't lose a single client. The business actually just continued to grow. Yeah, that's great. Um, so 
I'm one of the very lucky ones. Uh, there's a lot of other places that wouldn't have been so fortunate. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm guessing that's probably a demonstration of the culture behind it, right? If, yeah. If you're getting them working together, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're helping each other take the plates off, plates on. Exactly. And it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a big community yeah. element to it. Yeah. So sure. you've managed to yeah. shift. I mean, CrossFit tries to do that. Like they try to make it so it's like, you know, you're a CrossFit team, like you're yeah, core. And, and it works because yep. I'm a yep. CrossFitter. Like that, yeah, yeah. yeah, they, yeah, yeah that's sure. the thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm guessing yeah. I'm a part of West Coast Barbell Club. That's it's the same the, sort of thing. The club. Yeah. The name exactly. of the club on the end is yeah, like, yeah. part of a rugby club. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that yeah, true? So, is that where you take it from? It's like, yeah, it's a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not having them all out <laughs> every weekend because otherwise I wouldn't really be doing my job well. But um, but we do like three times a year after they do their max testing yeah. or uh, have a competition. Like, we'll all get together and have a few drinks and some food. But um, yeah, it, it's a big part of it because that, you know, lifting can be a pretty insular experience. Like, you know, you go to most commercial gyms, you don't know the owner, you potentially don't know any of the other members. It's it's quite a um, like a lonely thing to do for a lot of people. Like yeah. you go to the gym, you know, if you're the sort of person who's into your training, maybe you get up early, you get out the door and you have this hour to, and it's nice as like a time to switch off, but there's no social engagement for a lot of people. Like you have to ask someone for a spot. They might not know what they're doing. Like, so like in our environment, everyone kind of knows how to look after each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if someone's not feeling super motivated um, and you know, particularly everything that's been going on lately, maybe they're struggling with some mental health issues. Yeah. They've got a support network um, where, you know, if you go down to a snap fitness, like they're not providing that. So, no. Um, which so, yeah, which, which is something uh, that you know, I've discussed with a mate. My mate works as a manager at Jets, and mm. he's like, "Oh, I'm trying to think of ideas of how to get more members in mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff." I'm like, mate, to be honest with you, it's like they're missing out on that the relationship, the, the relationship vibe, yeah. the culture vibe. It's like mm-hmm. build them a journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put, yeah. put the journey into there. Mm-hmm. Make them feel like a part of like of a, of a, of a, of a exactly. squad. Yeah. Because then you, you know, team tribe, whatever you want exactly. to call it. Yeah. Because then it's going to be like okay, number one, client retention. Yep. It's huge. Because keeping clients yeah. at a yeah. gym is, I'm guessing, is quite way more important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess like these yeah, sort of yeah. places, they have a big turnover. It's like someone exactly. signs up, I'll trial for a week. Nah, I didn't exactly. like it. I'll go to the next yeah, gym. Yeah. Trial for yeah. a week. I know that's what I did when I first yeah, got here. For sure. Yeah. But because you know, I, I can train myself, it's and different. You're shopping around. Yeah, yeah. You want to find somebody you want to yeah. train. Yeah, it's different because I can train myself as well. But if someone mm-hmm. can't train themselves, mm-hmm. they're going to go in thinking, and particularly you know, a, lot of, a lot of women are very scared to, yep. to, to sure. step into a gym because they're afraid, you know people might look at me people might look yeah, at yeah, me. Was, yeah there's a lot of that absolutely yeah. in the whole time i've been coaching the majority of my client base has been female not male so um and a, a big part of it is that i think in part wanting a bit of guidance when it comes to strength training and it's great there has been a movement towards women's strength training more and having less of a concern around getting bulky which yeah. is you know, common um but then also worried about guys being leches and staring at them when they're in the dumbbell or squat rack area mm-hmm. like um so um, yeah, I've been really lucky that the ladies that I work with have, you know, seek that guidance and are now stronger than half the dudes at most gyms. So, <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, yeah, th- there's a ton of different factors that would influence, you know, people's reason for wanting to stay. And the point, so I often say this is I'll have a never ending to do list like anyone that runs a business. I don't tick off anything that involves trying to bring someone in until I've looked after someone I'm already looking after. Yeah. So if I've got 30 things to get through and the top five are getting in touch with a member who's expressed that they're dealing with some mental health issues or modifying someone's programming because they're struggling to get that fourth day in or whatever it may be, 
I don't go anywhere near marketing until yeah. those things are all ticked off. Yeah, which yeah. means I very rarely get time to do any do do any kind of yeah. sales stuff. Yeah, yeah. But my client base has not been built from paid marketing. It's been built from word of mouth. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I think yeah, that's what you said earlier on is that word of mouth. And that, now it's showing you know, through, through what yeah. we're saying and the way you, you're describing how you work your gym and stuff is that, uh, that it's building itself. And when a business can do that, yeah. it's because the culture inside is, yeah. is so good. Like the yeah. culture basically doesn't it, protects, protects your strategy. Yeah. It does, 100%. And it's, you know, a lot more time and money has to be invested in bringing someone new in versus keeping someone you already work with happy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's always been my approach from day one. And and I was fortunate working in a CrossFit gym to see the benefits of that community feel. The one thing that I found in CrossFit a little bit is it can get a bit cliquey. Yeah. Like, so you have, like, a group, say, of maybe 18 to 20 people and, like, two, three, four groups within that yeah. where it's, like, you're not – part of our group sort of thing yeah. it's quite elitist right. isn't it because it's such a, a little competitive bit. yeah exactly uh, there's kind of competitive nature to yeah. it and it's like there is that label of being a crossfitter yeah whereas like you know yeah being yeah. a label of it being yeah, a strength yeah. exactly just, yeah, no, no, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, not many of my members would go out and say i'm a powerlifter yeah for example even yeah. if they've done a competition or two i'm a member of the West yeah, Coast exactly. Club. yeah yeah exactly yeah they just walk around in their t-shirt <laughs> and if someone asks them oh like where do you train they'll talk about it right and that's about as far as it goes but the nice thing about that is it doesn't create barriers for people like the thing i often say so in the gym we've got a prs board for everyone but it's literally just their initials and their numbers it's not gender specific yeah, yeah. it's not a leaderboard yeah. right they're just someone's name someone's numbers that's it and you'll see people come in and they'll have a look and they'll be like oh like who's bk like they're lifting a ton it's like oh it's brenda she deadlifted 170 like, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a lady she's like yeah she's awesome oh, she's a single mum and she's super cool like so um so that yeah there's none of this kind of uh don't get me wrong, like coming from a rugby background, a bit of competition is great. Like, of and you'll see that within the group, but it's, it is always a healthy competition and there's no cliques. And I hope it stays that way because that's, that's not through anything I've actively done. Um, it's, you know, if you're running across the gym, coaching 20 people in a session, it's kind of hard to not have them form. It's kind of basic human mm. instinct. So I'm quite lucky that hasn't happened yet. And I hope it, it doesn't because that's a big part of think of why people feel welcomed, whether they're lifting 30 kilos or 230 kilos. Yeah. So I think as long as you keep developing as you, you know, you obviously have led well there and you know, as long as you keep developing or involving as a leader yourself and yeah. you know, doing the way you do, it's going, looking, looking at my clients first, putting yeah. the clients first rather than your ego having to go, I want the biggest gym. Yeah, in, exactly. In, yeah, exactly. In, in WA sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. I think that's what happens with a lot of people who start to get a little bit kind of um, su- like successful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, where can I go with this? And they yeah. all of a sudden forget about, this yeah. and think about too far about what's going on over yeah. here. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been guilty of that. Not in the terms of the decisions I'm making, but the, the time I've dedicated to thinking about yeah. progressing the gym. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been very fortunate looking back that I've not made any like decisions where I've been like, oh, that was a really bad idea. Um, but I've definitely dedicated a lot more time to thinking like, well, this is where we need to be in a year's, two years time and neglecting thinking about well, where do I need to be in a week or two's time or a month or two's time. Um, and that's something I consciously think about now, kind of similar to the I was saying about the to-do list of like, I need to look after my existing mm. members before I even think about bringing mm. in new ones. It's more like I can't be thinking about what I need to be doing two or tomorrow. three years down the line. Yeah, even if tomorrow, I'm not I haven't done today. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Um, before, yeah. And don't get me wrong, like having an underlying plan, like financial plans and basic stuff like that, that's different. But thinking about like, you know, what kind of premises do I want three years down the line? How do I want to equip it and stuff like mm. that? Um, yeah, I probably spent too much time thinking about 
that vision versus yeah. like right now, like how do I get these power racks built so I can have them installed for tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. Like, so, yeah. Um, so, so what are you got, got, what sort of equipment you got to make? Cause it was interesting how you were, you were using the word build. Yeah. Yeah. Rather yeah. Than purchase. Yeah. So we custom build everything we can. Yeah. Okay. So I'm very, very lucky where the gym is based. Um, where are you? The, we are, um, I'm trying to think how to explain it to someone who's not in Perth. So if we're, we're basically between uh, the CBD and East Perth, so okay. um, pretty much between Claysbrook train station and East Perth train station. Yeah. Um, and uh, near the kind of like concrete plants that are just around that part of the freeway. So um, I'm very lucky that I uh, rent space um, from uh, my landlords who are fabricators and metal workers they create public art and sculpture and stuff like that yeah. and they're two of the best people I know they've become like my best friends yeah well wow. um, and they've taught me you know everything from materials prep to welding so like um, these next two racks that we're building I'm building from start to finish myself so the benefit of that <clears throat> in being able to custom build them is that often when you get a rack with newer lifters they don't know how to use it that well <clears throat> so a real common thing that I'll see, for example, is most racks are built on a slightly wider footprint than ours and they'll unrack a bar and hit the plates on the side and then they'll start wobbling all over the place. <laughs> uh, or worse still, they'll go to re-rack a bar, hit the plates on the side and then they lose the Yeah, not that many times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we've been able to build them on a, a narrow footprint. So just simple stuff like the hole spacing is considerably smaller. So it keeps people safer because we can more accurate with that. <laughs> the hole spacing is built uh, in Imperial, so it's inch like, separations. Yeah, the footprint is metric. Yeah, so like little stuff like that that no brand would ever do. Like, it'd be ridiculous to, but because we can, we've yeah, got access to the equipment we have done. So yeah, all of our like bars and plates come in from Rogue. Um, pretty much everything else we build ourselves. Um, so yeah, one of the things that I'll be doing uh, probably by the end of this month is building a a cable machine. Um, but instead of, you know, it being isolated to just being like a lap pull down, it'll also have, you know, a setup such that we can do additional like arm work and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. Cause it's like, I think that's also a bit, a bit of the sell when people are like, oh, like, you know, where are these racks from? It's like, oh, we, we built them right next door. And he's like, you built them yourselves. It's like, yeah. yeah. It's like, that's really cool. This like, definitely makes it a lot more personable. Yeah. And kind yeah. Of, like, customization. You, you, you've managed to not only get your own gym yeah not only get the layout right yeah, but now yeah. you're like thinking how can i make this perfect for exactly. my clients yeah. and to make it easier safer yeah. you know, a part of your culture that's yeah. that's great yeah do you have any um uh, you know, specific like methodologies that you prefer to use in terms of strength training um yeah i suppose <coughs> excuse me so for me um my approach has been largely kind of influenced by my mentors <coughs> so um the guys at Barbell Medicine, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Um, no. If not, would would highly recommend yeah. um, uh, following their content. They're both medical doctors in the US. One's called Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. The other one's Dr. Austin Baraki. They're medical practitioners. Austin's still a practicing physician. Um, and they run a very successful online strength coaching business and education business, much than anything. They run seminars all over the world. Um they also happen to be elite powerlifters, so they can be yeah, at national okay. level in America. So, <clears throat> you know, they're 93 kilos body weight. They're both squatting close to 300 kilos, deadlifting over 300 kilos, benching 200 kilos, yeah. while also being, you know, full-time doctors yeah. for a large part of their training history. Um, they um, 
Well, so Jordan has been coached by a guy called Mike Tashir for a long time, who's been an elite powerlifter. He was the guy who brought RPE-based training to powerlifting. So RPE standing for rate of perceived exertion. I know you're nodding like you know about it. <laughs> so other might not. Yeah. Um, and um, their approach to integrating medical practice with strength and conditioning, using RPE to form the basis of any kind of intensity management in a training program, um, is a big part of um, how I structure our programming. Okay. Um, so I, I would say, obviously, at a basic level, our strength programming focuses around the main barbell lifts. So yeah, squat, bench press, deadlift, overhead press, and then supplemental exercises to those. Um, and then the programming is prescribed all in the context of managing load appropriately through using RPE. Yeah, nice. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's very simple yeah. at a surface level, but then often when people see the board, it looks like a heap of algebra and, a bit like, <laughs> and I, and I have to remind myself that I'm reading it like yeah. it's another language and it's, yeah, it is. I'm fluent in it. Whereas to them, it's another language and they've never seen it before. So, um, but then once people get to understand, it's like, well, you're just going to do three sets of five and it's going to feel like an eight out of 10, like, or you've got two reps in the tank. Like, it's like, oh, well, that's not so hard to understand. Um, but I'm at least there to kind of hold their hand initially. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good yeah. way of, um, <laughs> certainly good way of, teaching people how to become intuitive with the exactly their effort exactly and that's that's the thing like as we talked about before is you know listening to your body or you know knowing your own body this is a pathway to getting there yeah. because you start to understand what it feels like when yeah. you've only got one rep in the tank it's not about or where it's a 10 out of 10 effort exactly it's not a yeah it's not percentage-based program it's like well you have to hit this number today yeah the other benefit of that is you know if you've had a terrible night's sleep or falling out with your partner you've got life stress that's influencing your ability to perform on the day we can moderate the intensity down whereas if you're feeling great you're coming to the gym buzzing and you can hit a pr we can go there yeah, it's not, yeah. You're, you're not rigidly confined to this percentage or this number that you're supposed to hit that day um so it, it's been a revelation for my own training. Um, so that's why I yeah, have obviously got clients to do much the same. And there's a growing body of evidence to support that it's a better way of managing programming anyway. And also, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it, I guess the research has maybe moved on a little bit, but one of the forerunners for introducing it in team sports has been researchers around AFL. So, um, you know, using what they all call arbitrary units, um, but basically managing session RPE. So if they're out on the training field and they're training for an hour, let's say, and you know, a player says he reckons it was like a seven out of 10 session, they'll multiply the duration of the session by the session RPE and try and manage that over time. Um, and you know, while it's all still in its infancy, like being able to understand what that player's load is over time and keeping it within the kind of bounds that we want to in terms of like pushing things a bit hard sometimes and dropping off sometimes can really help you manage you know, a whole group of players where obviously injury risk from dynamic loading is far greater than it is powerlifting. Mm. Um, and it's similar when it comes to pushing someone's intensity in a training program in the gym and deloading them appropriately. It's just kind of waving within these bounds and then obviously aiming to have that wave trend upwards. Yeah. Over time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more of a, it's like a guidelines of, 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 yeah. of direction, which yeah. if you want progress and you want yeah. to move forward, mm -hmm. it's, it's creating some kind of safety as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think the, the thing is, for me, I don't know if you found the same at university, um, you, you learn a lot about theory, yeah. not necessarily practical application. And I remember thinking at the time, give me something practical to like get my teeth into, like, like you know, it's almost like a point and shoot, this is what you do 
in this situation. And now that I'm a bit older and more mature, I guess, like I realize how important it is to have that underlying theory. Because if I work with someone for 10 or 20 years, and let's say only elite athlete and one coaching all the way through that process, which is not my client base, but if you're working with someone for 20 years as a coach, I feel like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like you've not educated them on how to self-manage long term. Yeah, yes. Like, so um, the point I try to get across to people is that I'm not there just to coach you and tell you what to put on the bar today. Like I'm there to educate you too so that one day you'll understand how to do this because not only does that mean they can manage their training long term, it means they're a better communicator of this stuff to their friends and family because I can't speak to everyone. Yeah. But if they can be advocates for it amongst their peers then it's this snowball effect of getting people more physically active. Yeah, you know, at the end great. of the day, if someone's like, oh, I saw that you posted that 100 kilo deadlift on Instagram, that's awesome. Like, how'd you do that? They're not saying, oh, I just did what Ben told me. Yeah. Like, they're saying, well, we, we train deadlifts on Wednesdays and, you know, we use this thing called RPE, which is a bit like this. You know, maybe yeah. come down with me and we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do show a few you. sets together. Yeah, yeah that's like, great. And then that spreads. Yeah, right? yeah. So I think if more coaches were doing that, that'd be a, a good thing for everyone. That's a real positive yeah. message. Yeah. Like, I like the way you've thought about that. You've mm. obviously gone, you've not gone like, I, I can just do this. It's like, I can actually yeah. reach beyond yeah. um, uh, just my client here. I can actually make a, make a difference. Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, and I've seen it a lot because inevitably, you know, we've only been open a couple of years. People aren't yet at that point where they have got that understanding. It's like, well, listen, how I design programming at this time and everything that goes along with that. But the word of mouth element obviously is there. You know, if I'm saying to them, hey, I, I want you to encourage your family members or maybe your, your mum that's obese and dealing with knee pain or your dad that's got chronic low back pain and are both sedentary, like, you know, if you don't feel confident conveying to them what they need to do to change their life, mm. Like, I'm happy to help. So, um, and then, yeah, like I say, it just kind of spreads. That's why you get yeah. the word of mouth. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brilliant. No, I really, really, uh, really uh, appreciate that work you're doing because mm. in, in my in health industry, I'm, same, I'm probably similar, similar to you. you know, the vision is just to help people become better. Yeah. Uh, help people with their, with their health, improve yeah. their health in the long term. All right. There's two questions I always ask people on this podcast mm -hmm. uh, to, to close up. Yeah. Uh, number one is, uh, what do you believe that you need to be doing to take your performance to the next levels? And, uh, and in, <laughs> in terms of performance, yeah. I just mean kind of like, with your vision of where you want to yeah, go, yeah. whether that be with your business or yeah. whether that be with your personal training. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sleep more. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, um, which I guess, yeah, plays into your background. <laughs> For sure. Like, I mean, my current work schedule is not sustainable. Yeah. I, every day this week, I've started work at 4.40 a.m. and wow. I finish at 8 p.m. Yeah, like, yeah And at most, I get like an hour to take a lunch break, but it's normally about half an hour. Do you have any other coaches? So, no, not at the moment, no. So long-term, in order for me to... Build the community that I want to build it, help as many people as possible, and facilitate my own personal goals for my lifting. I am going to need to have some form of mentorship where I can bring someone through and they can assist me with coaching um, and help me manage my time better so I can sleep a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so good on you for pumping all the work in now, though. Like, yeah, absolutely. Long term for your own yeah. health. That yeah, be, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what I'm currently doing, I can't be doing it yeah. in 10 years' time. I mean, I could, but I don't want to become jaded. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Exhausted. So. And you won't be able to. I won't be able to, fall, won't be able exactly. to lift the, uh, the yeah. 300 kilograms. Exactly, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's probably that one. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. Good on you. That's just to highlight you know, a bit of awareness, but yeah, people, yeah. people know it. Second question is um, and you know, we've had a quite great, great discussion about how Freddie, but if you were to change one thing mm -hmm. on a mass scale to improve yeah. global health, chronic yeah. disease, yeah. obesity, everything yeah. that you think yeah. would have the biggest impact, what yeah. would that be? 
getting people to meet physical activity guidelines. So it's boring and it's simple and it's government advice so people don't like it. Um, but if all clinicians were counseling people on meeting physical activity guidelines, we'd all be better for it. I'm annoyed I can't remember the statistics off the top of my head, but Australia does a worse job of meeting physical activity guidelines than America. And America is your stereotypical. Worse than America? Yeah, worse than America. Cool. And America is this stereotypical obese nation where health is obviously a massive issue. Australia is doing a worse job of meeting physical activity guidelines. Um, I'm going to be annoyed that I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I think, and it's also based on, uh, the data is based on um, uh, subjective feedback data. And with things like smoking, drinking, physical activity, we often do a pretty jab bad job of assessing where we're at. We yeah. normally think we're better than we are. Yeah. So like we exercise more than we actually do and we drink less more than we actually do. So um so that self-reported data is kind of flawed, but um, you look at the number of people meeting physical activity guidelines and the impact that would have on all the other disease states that we've talked about, that would be my biggest thing. And the thing that's most alarming is that less than 1% of 15 to 17 year olds in Australia are meeting their physical activity guidelines. So that this is a problem that's getting worse. So I, my thing, if we're going to try and improve my health in Australia would be to get more clinicians, more people that do what you and I do and more of the general public are aware of these physical activity guidelines and counseling others on trying to meet them. Because if we've got 15, 17 year olds doing a worse job than the current adult population of meeting those guidelines, it's a problem that's only going to get worse, not better without people like us yeah. talking about it more. Yeah. I, I, I generally look at, um, and I think this also just makes me feel old. It's like I look at the generation difference between our generation, which mm. I think was very active. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I grew up playing sport all the time. But even yeah. as a kid, you were outdoors. I was outdoors in the, yeah. on a bike or it's climbing trees or yeah, in the yeah. park or mm -hmm. just being an idiot with a football, rugby ball, exactly. just you know, getting, really getting run over a car because I'm in the middle, <laughs> yeah, of, the middle yeah, of the road yeah, yeah. trying to throw a ball yeah, yeah, around. Like, yeah. But now it's like, you look outside and there's just no one. It's just people video are just video gaming. It's like we're going into the technical age, technological yeah, yeah. age, mm -hmm. but we need the fundamentals of play, fun, exactly. activity, exercise in children. 100%. Because otherwise we're screwed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. I mean, I dread to think, you know, the burden on the medical system, there will be if things continue as they are. And, you know, and because the other thing as well is if people become more physically active, more interested in their physical activity, the other stuff comes in as well. So this is what I say to people is like, you know, if you become more physically active and start enjoying being more physically active, you might then start thinking about making better nutritional choices, hmm. making better choices about your recovery. So sleeping a little bit better, managing your life stress a little bit better. So it's, you know, that's probably why I would put that one first rather than necessary like nutritional education yeah. or what I said before about GPs, you know, counseling people on body weight management is because if you can get more people physically active, the other stuff could well come you start to see the after. benefit of it and you exactly. realize that actually this can be something because you start to feel good originally everyone you know, i mean i've always been active but yeah. imagine someone who's not active being afraid to then get active yep. because it's like mm -hmm. oh it's gonna be painful it's gonna be yep. sore mm -hmm. i'm not gonna feel not gonna feel good but then like okay well two three four months later when you start to realize that actually you feel better about yourself exactly. you, you look better mm -hmm. you know you actually you're not it's not you're not out of breath when you walk up the stairs yeah it's like creates that kind of momentum exactly so then exactly. you go oh, well, what's next and then it's like yeah. okay well now nutrition now you sleep yeah 100 so, great yeah, answer yeah. that's probably actually one of my favorite answers so if there's anyone out there that wants to reach out or, or you know, come and join you, mm -hmm. you, you be a part of the west west coast barbell club like, yeah. yeah how can they get in contact with you my best advice would be to just Chuck into Google, West Coast Barbell Club will pop up number one. Um, feel free to have a read of our reviews. You know, they're all open, honest testimonials from everyone that I work with. Um, that will give you a decent insight into the culture and what we do. 
beyond what I've spoken about today. Um, And yeah, click on the website and you'll find our contact details readily available on there. Brilliant. That'd be my advice. Thanks very much for coming on. It's been a, it's been a real good chat. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah, That's been great. Okay. And everyone reach out because I think you've got a real good thing going there. Yeah. And I, yeah, the thing is, I love my job. I absolutely love my job. That's why I work these long hours. Yeah. Yeah. I love doing it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do it if you couldn't. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it'd be good to meet some more people through doing it. All right. Thanks for listening to the show, everybody. Uh, It's been a, been a real, real good one here with Ben. So um, tune in next week.